All right. Um, when I was 10 years old, I went to Denver for the first time in my life. I'm from Eastern Oregon, a little town called Hermiston. And I went there because we were ranchers and my grandfather would go to the Denver Stock Show every year. Anybody ever been to the Denver Stock Show? A few hands, yeah, a few of you guys. Um, my grandfather would go there. This was, I'm the oldest grandchild, and so this was kind of an opportunity when I was 10 to spend time with grandpa and, and get to know him a little bit. And while I was there, I was hanging out and didn't think too much about it. First time I flew on an airplane, you know, saw a lot of cattle and, you know, big, big exciting week for me. But we came back from that trip and I spent some time praying and in my Devo time. And uh, I heard the Lord speak to me as a young man. And he said, Nate, I'm sending you back there someday. But next time it's going to be for my purposes, not yours. Now, I'm young preteen. I'm like, okay, God, I'll, I'm going to go play now. I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, I, What do you do with that when you're that young? Well, so we started having, I started growing up. And I started really growing in my faith. And... As I was getting ready to graduate from high school, I had uh, another time I really sensed the Lord speak to me. And I'd been praying, God, where should I go to college? You know, for me and my family, going to college was like going from junior high to high school. It was just kind of the, you know, just what you did. Nobody asked you if you wanted to go. Nobody even considered it an option for you. You just were going to college. That's what you did. And as I was praying, God, where should I go? The Lord spoke to me in one of the most clear moments of my life. And, you know, whatever your background is or understanding of this, you think this is weird, I get it. It's kind of weird in, even in my own life. But I, I heard the Lord clearly speak to me. He said, Nate, I'm gonna, I want you to give this year to me. And I want you to do missions for this year. And then you're going to go to college. But after two years, I'm going to call you to go to another university from where you start. And I said, that's very specific. <laughs> Where am I supposed to do that? And that memory for when I was a young man came flooding into my mind. I probably had forgotten that, honestly, up until that moment. And in that moment, the Lord said, Colorado. He said, Denver. And then he said, and Colorado is where I'm going to call you to transfer to colleges. Also very specific. Um, and very strange because to me, in my understanding, missions is for professionals who've gone to some kind of seminary and do this as a living. Like, how do I give a year... Uh, to missions. I was the first give a year before Chi Alpha even made it a thing, right? And so I was just sensing the Lord tell me to do this. I didn't know how. And there's a long story behind it. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I essentially uh, had this situation where this this team, ever heard, anybody ever hear of YWAM? No. Yeah, so YWAM came into our town. I didn't know what it was. Uh, all the youth groups in our town got together. Um, I had had uh, this week, I I'm going to sound like I'm like making myself some super spiritual person. But you know what? When you're walking with the Lord, He just guides your life. And when I was, when I was just hanging out, uh, going to school, the Lord said, Hey, Nate, something really important is about to happen. You need to pray for the next three days. Um, I said, God, I'm busy. You know, I mean, I'm a senior in high school, man. I got all the responsibility in the world on my shoulders, you know? I got work, and I got football, and I got, you know school maybe I don't know so I was like God I, I don't have time for that and the Lord said no you have time 
And I'm telling you, you have time, and you're going to make time. And I said, God, why? He said, you know, there's this principle that we learn. The Lord gives us commands sometimes, and we obey, and then sometimes we learn why. There's a Winky Prattney quote there. But, but we obey, and there's this concept we have to learn to trust the who before we trust the what. Because if we only, trust, if we only knew the what, we wouldn't ever trust God. We'd just trust his plan. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me. That doesn't make sense. So I'm not going to do it, or I will. So I walked out and said, okay. God, fine. And I prayed for those next three days. And, and in sp- very specific, kind of, I was supposed to go to my church, I was supposed to you know, pray in these hours. And at the end of it, I was like, what was the big deal? I literally thought, like, I'm going to show up and there's going to be, like, some angel that's going to come, or, you know, appear to me, or I don't know, some, you know, I was looking for something really mystical to, like, happen, because I'm stepping out, and I really sensed in my spirit that I was, I was following the Lord, and it was like I was praying to the ceiling. Nothing was happening. But, but I was obedient. And that night, I went to football practice. I came back to my youth group that night, and everybody was loading up in these buses, and I didn't know what was going on. I ended up driving to this, this meeting place, this youth conference center in town, and I didn't care. I was just like, whatever I can do with my friends, it's whatever. And this YWAM team spoke. And I thought, hey, they're cool, like, sharing some really good testimonies and, you know, whatever. And at the end, we were praying and kind of doing the thing you do, you know, just kind of praying for a few minutes and then kind of thinking when, uh, what are my friends going to do after this and, and we're going to have some fun. And I'm sitting there in my seat in the back of this auditorium and this one guy from YWAM comes walking down the aisle. Uh, I'm watching him. For some reason, I kind of catch him and I see him like passing. Everybody is trying to talk to him and he passes everybody. He kind of says, hi, bye, you know, whatever. And he walks right up and he walks right up to me. I'm in the back and he says, hi, what's your name? Nate or Nathaniel back then. Nathaniel. And and he said, the Lord told me I'm supposed to talk to you. I'm not. I don't know why, but we need to have lunch tomorrow. So we have lunch, and, and he basically said, what is the Lord telling you to do? I said, well, I'm looking to go into Oregon State or maybe University of Idaho. I'm not really sure. He said, no, but what's the Lord telling you? And I wish I could. I wish I knew who that guy was. Like years later, I wish I could call him. And be like, what did the Lord tell you exactly? Because he kept pressing. Like, there's something the Lord has told you to do. What is it? And I was like, I haven't told anybody this. He said, Well, I'm supposed to go to Colorado. I don't know why? And he said, Well, have you ever heard why we am? And I said, No. And he said, Well, it's a missions agency for young people. And uh, and you know, you start talking about it. And, yeah, that really sounds like what the Lord's telling me to do, but. I don't know, missions is overseas, and I'm supposed to go to Denver, and that doesn't even make sense in my head. He said, well, we don't, we don't just, you know, send you off. We train you first. And we have a big base in Denver, Colorado. I said, okay, that's awesome. So that next year I went. I sensed the Lord leading me there. And I asked the Lord after, I said, God, what was that, what was with that? What was the deal? Why did I have to go there? And he said, I was just prepping you for something. Just prepping you for something. And that year I really got... I loved the Lord, and I had a deep walk with the Lord, and I was passionate about Him. I was a very intense young man, um, and I I went through depression actually before I heard the voice of the Lord that time telling me about Colorado. I had I had depression because at at ten um, I had asked I realized I didn't know why I believed in God. You know I knew that I believed in God because my parents told me. Maybe that wasn't a good reason. And so I went into depression, kind of wrestling with why, you know, whether God exists or not. It's a whole different story. But I experienced the presence of God for the first time in my life as I wrestled with that. And the Lord uh, miraculously freed me from, from
from a pretty incredible depression I almost killed myself in the middle of. But, but when I ask them, what's the deal? What is going on with my life? I'm just, I don't know what's happening. And I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. And the Lord just said, I'm just prepping you for something. And this class is a little bit like that. Some of you guys are kind of like, I don't know where I'm going in my life or what I'm doing, but this is maybe that season where the Lord's saying, hey, if you just step out, uh, I'm going to prep you for something bigger than what you can even imagine. And so I, I got done with YWAM, and it was a good experience. I really learned as a young man who loved the Lord but was scared of my own shadow. Um, I learned how to kind of step out in my faith. And I'm not kidding. I was scared of heights deep water, any room that could lock. Um, I had, any girl was like totally off limits. Um, I, I was, I just had all these, you know, funny like phobias and things. And, and YWAM really kind of helped me kind of step out. And that's a little bit what this class is. Like how do you learn to step out and embolden in your faith? Well, I went to University of Idaho and I joined the largest fraternity on the university and I joined the football team. Uh, so I definitely got out of my uh, Christian bubble at that point, and just began to wrestle with, okay, what's college like, and I'm trying to figure myself out. And I began to realize all of a sudden, my faith was was something special because all of these guys that were in my fraternity house, or all these guys on my football team, nobody had a witness in their life except for me relationally. I mean, a few of us. There was a couple of us in the mix a little bit there, but but I was basically it. For my friends, this was their chance to know Jesus. In this moment in college when the, everybody was wrestling with, who am I and what am I going to live for and what's my purpose and God, I don't even know what to do with him. And everybody's wrestling with this, right? Everybody's questioning these things. And here I was and I suddenly realized I had the answer. And I was beginning to learn to step out and to shift what it looked like. And I spent a couple of years, I was actually part of Campus Crusade for Christ. You guys know them as crew, they changed their name. Realized saying crusade when they were trying to do ministry in the Middle East didn't make a lot of sense. So, um, I think that was a good move for them. But, but I was part of that group there for two years. And I really, actually, I just began to see a model there of what can happen with people who, college students who really love Jesus and are willing to be bold and share their faith. And I watched uh, my world be changed as a result. In fact, one of my friends, uh, Matt Hemmen, uh, just called me up this last week and said, hey, would you be my best man in my wedding? I'm getting married. Matt Hemmen was the most popular man at the University of Idaho. Uh, he, I think, became like the student body president or, or the, yeah, something like that. Uh, he was just Mr. Popular. He's known, he's, he's just, uh, super likable, super charismatic, uh, handsome guy, and uh, he, he knew everybody. He always knew everybody. And yet, he was somebody who grew up in a Christian background a little bit, uh, kind of ran away from the Lord when he went to college, and through my friendship, I was able to bring him back into a relationship with God. And it was, that, that friendship was so powerful, and we'll get to this in a second, but when we start talking about adding mission into our faith, it, it grows our faith, it deepens our relationships, it, it strengthens everything as a result of this responsibility. And, and Matt Hemmen, who knew everybody, was 
Mr. Popular. Years later, we're not even, not even like we see each other that much. We live in different states. We kind of catch up whenever I'm driving through Boise or he maybe comes by or something. But, but years later, as he's actually getting married, he says, you know, I looked at all the people in my life that I know, and I said, who is someone who actually has helped me become the man I wanted to be? And that's what we're asking you guys to consider doing. That there's a lot of people in this world, but when we start saying, hey, I, I love you, and I have a vision for your life, and I want to see something greater than what you ever imagined for you, and I'm going to fight for you. And we don't tell people this face-to-face because it would be weird, but in our hearts, we kind of have this little maxim we say, you know, it's like a wedding vow almost. It's like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, over my dead body, are you going to live a stupid life? Because I'm going to fight for you. There's somebody in this world that's going to fight for you, and your destiny is going to be changed as a result. So, all that to say, we are inviting you guys to consider joining with us in this mission. And so, I was at the University of Idaho, and I was really getting this heart to realize, man, my life matters. And my faith matters. More than for me, but for the people in my life. And about my sophomore year, the Lord said, hey, Nate, remember, uh, remember what I told you years ago? You're not done here. Or you're, you're almost done here. Um, and I was like, really? Really? With this again? Okay. So, so but I, at this point, I was like, okay, God, I, I trust you. And I had to take kind of that step of faith, and I walked off my football team, and I wasn't anything special. I, I just, I was a tackle dummy for the guys that were actually pretty good. But, but you know, uh, but I was really connected with my university and had a lot of friends. And so I had to kind of take that step of faith, talked to the head coach, Tom Cable, um, some of you guys, you guys are kind of younger now, but uh, he actually would later become uh, a coach at, uh, I believe, over in Boulder, and then he went over to Seattle. Uh, well, then he went over to uh, become the head coach of the Raiders for a while, and then he became the offensive line coach with the Seattle Seahawks. So I kind of joke with people around in Colorado. It's like, if God, you know, here at CSU, if God can use the head coach of the Buffs, the Raiders and uh, coach of the Seattle Seahawks to direct your life. You never know, you may use anybody. But I talked to, I talked to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, coach. I don't know where I'm going, but I just, I'm not gonna be here for you anymore. And he's actually the one, when I took that step of faith, when I actually stepped off that ledge, that was kind of my commitment. Like, I'm not joking around, I'm actually leaving. And when I did that, that was the moment. He was the one who told me about this little school called the University of Northern Colorado that he thought, hey, if you want to transfer schools, that would be a great place for you to go. I knew nothing about universities in Colorado, nothing. And so I said, that's all I've got, literally, that's all I've got. Great, I'm going there. I don't know what Greeley's like. I don't know what their programs are. I don't know if it's a good school. I don't care. I'm going there because apparently there's something for me. And so I left the University of Idaho and I transferred to the University of Northern Colorado. And the Lord just opened up a lot of doors. Uh, the fraternity, actually, that I was a part of there was is a small fraternity nationally, but was actually at the University of uh, Northern Colorado. And so they set me up uh, with a place to live and a place to kind of land when I showed up. And, and all my credits transferred. UNC, back then, they kind of joked it was the University of No Credits, <laughs> because if you transferred, you know, your credits transferred with you. Um, but all but one of my credits transferred. So I got academic scholarship, all these things. So the Lord really provided. Um, I show up there, and it's just, it's just the weirdest thing. Now I'm by myself. 
I know nobody. I'm in the middle of Colorado, and I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I said, God, why am I here? He said, don't worry about it. Just, just trust me. Really? Okay. Well, I'd seen this little ministry called Chi Alpha, Chi, Chi something. I couldn't quite remember. But I'd seen it at the University of Idaho, and I liked what they were about. I, I, I saw that they were really into this concept of discipleship, and, and there was different things that really kind of attracted me to the idea of, of Chi Alpha. And I said, you know, God, if there is a Chi Alpha at the University of Northern Colorado, I would love to check them out. Um, I show up at UNC and I scour their webpage, amazing, you know, back in 2003 uh, that I actually even found them. Uh, but, but sure enough, let me tell you, it was, yeah, we weren't, we didn't have great media coverage over there. So, but I did find there was Kyle. Alpha. What's interesting is in hindsight, I would discover later that there was essentially one Chi Alpha in Colorado. And guess where it was? At UNC. So I got involved with them and, and thought, hey, this is just a great community. I loved it. It was awesome. We had a great time there. And two years later, I was getting ready to, to graduate with my degree in accounting and move on to other things. And my director uh, came up to me and said, hey, Nate, would you consider joining staff for a year or two? And be a give a year uh, back to the ministry. I've told them what people say when they want to say no, but they want to sound spiritual. <laughs> I will pray about that, Gabe. <laughs> but really, I meant not a chance. <laughs> but I was a man of my word, and I prayed. I said, God, what's the deal? And it was kind of, it was just this moment. I was, I was in my fraternity house. I was just in my room, and I just sensed the Lord kind of slapped me over the back of the head. <laughs> that you've been asking me for years what's going on. What do you think? I'm calling you to this state for this ministry. And from there I said, okay. Went to, was on staff at UNC for a couple of years. Uh, for Chi Alpha in our world, uh, we, you do an internship if you want to do Chi Alpha as a career. After, you can give a year or two back, but then you do an internship. And uh, that's just long before Corsas and internship here. So I went down to Sam Houston State. Uh, Chi Alpha is, is heavy, heavily uh, women um, because of just different programs that have attracted that, that sex over the time. And, um, and our ministry only accentuated that extremeness. Um, and so, and we were not a big ministry. You know, there was, there's more men in this room than we had in our entire ministry, like by far. And so I basically said, God, you know, I basically started talking to people like, where, where uh, is a Chi Alpha that's bigger than 30? Because I wouldn't know what to do with a ministry that big and uh, has, has discipling guys well. And people said, hey, you know, there's this really good ministry at Sam Houston State Hospital, Texas that's really rocking it right now. So I said, all right, I'll go there. I went down there and I'll just kind of fly by from here, but, but met a bunch of friends. Uh, invited them. I was single at the time. Lindsay wasn't in the picture yet. So I was single. I knew I was going back to Colorado. I really sensed that CSU uh, was the right next step for our state to pioneer there. And so I invited uh, 10 of my friends, essentially, to, or nine of my friends to join me, thinking maybe a couple of them would say yes. But I said, hey, Colorado is in need. We don't have any Chi Alphas in the whole state. The Chi Alpha at UNC was just shutting down, actually. And uh, 
Turned out all of them said yeah. <laughs> so we pioneered here nine and a half years ago. And we've been kind of moving from there. And so one of the questions that you kind of ask is why, why does Chi Alpha exist, honestly? And um, why should, or, you know, I got tired of being mistaken as a fraternity. Uh, since I was a frat guy, but no, we're not a fraternity. It just got confusing. So we, we call ourselves the outpost here. It's kind of the, the name, uh, the, the front, the face of our ministry, just because it's ambiguous enough that we can define it. We call ourselves the outpost because an outpost, if you, if you remember your uh, you know, American history, an outpost was a place where essentially, uh, you could say in a concept, it's a place where a people group, a cause, a purpose is advancing. Um, but it's also a place of safety in the midst of that advancement. Yeah. And so we call ourselves the outpost because we believe our, one, one way to say it is our goal is to be a place where we are safe, we're growing together in community and our fellowship and our walk with the Lord, but we're also on a mission and we're advancing the cause of Christ into our campus and into our world. So that's, that's who we are. Uh, but why should the outpost exist? There's a lot of great ministries here, and there really are. There's great ministries, great churches that are, are reaching out to the campus. Um, I want to try to answer some of that for us here today. Um, all right, went through the history of our ministry. I have discovered that this maxim is so true, but what God does in you, he wants to do through you. And my life up until college was about what God was doing in my life growing my faith and challenging me and you know just helping me have a real personal relationship with him but also I hit college and I realized he wanted to do so many things through my life and for you guys here today there's people in on this campus who are going to be eternally changed because you answered that call said God I want you to work through me in the way that you worked in me and that's a pretty cool thought um, what are we dreaming about uh, let's talk about just kind of big picture dreams. So I've sat down with each of you guys over this week, and we've we've talked through lots of different stuff. Um, but I didn't talk to very many of you about kind of our our bigger dreams, and so I want to just give you kind of a, a big picture. Um, right now, uh, on the campus, and we've done these surveys, and we've done these studies, and we've we've looked at this stuff, and we we're estimating that. The, the percentage of the campus that is connected with Christian community, that's either a service on a Sunday morning or something like a campus ministry or, or some combo of those two, um, about four to five percent of the campus is actively engaged in that. That's not even saying how many of them are, are even followers of Christ yet, because we know like there's a lot of belonging sometimes that happens before people believe. Uh, but but around maybe 5% of the campus is connected with the Christian community. Um, a couple of you guys, I think even this week, I was talking with you and your testimonies and just the, the story of like, hey, I came to college running from God, met somebody, met some small group leaders that said, hey, I want to connect with you, but I don't want anything to do with God. And now you're sitting across the room from me saying, I want to find guys like me because they need God. Right. And that, I think Isaac said that, if you don't mind me, just highlight that. Somebody else was talking about that. But, but so often, Jesus says this. He says, the laborers 
are few. The harvest is plentiful. We don't really believe that. We walk on campus and think, nobody wants Jesus here. Right? We're afraid of the idea that, you know, if I strike up a conversation with the students, I'm going to find Richard Dawkins incarnate as a freshman, and I'm not going to know what to say, and they're just going to think I'm, like, you know, totally off left field, and, you know, they don't want Jesus. I mean, I know they, I know they should have Jesus, but they, they don't. And we have this idea in our minds that, that it's almost this defeatist mindset in Christianity. The culture doesn't want Jesus, so I'm scared to say that. Here's what I've been People want God. You know, I was reading Winky this last week. You know, he says Christianity is humanity coming back to normal. We all have this longing for what our faith offers. Whether they realize the fulfillment is in following Jesus or not, yet they want him. They just don't know it's him that they're searching for. And so realizing, one, that they want him, but how do they learn that, that, that he is who they're really longing for? And it's always, almost always, through relationship. Almost always. And so if our campus doesn't love Jesus, it's generally, I would argue, because there are not enough people fighting for them to actually show them that Jesus is who they want. So all they have is a cultural concept of Jesus that's probably really skewed and has no understanding of why he matters to them. And so what does it take? What does it take to transform our campus? Because we're not just about transforming some people on our campus. That's not just our vision, although always it's about people. It's about the people sitting across from us that we're fighting for. But it's not just to have a holy huddle, like, hey, we have a good time with all of us who want to, like, you know, weather the storm of, of college and, you know, we're going to kind of huddle together and be safe. That's not, that's not how we're going to do it. But how we're going to transform this campus is by having people who are actually fighting for people. To have students who love Jesus and are fighting for their friends and fighting for their classmates and fighting for this campus that are relationally connected. Not, not, I mean, I, and I don't want to think it's, you know, bad as long as, you know, the gospel is it's true. But like, you know, the guys who preach on the stump or whatever, I mean, if, as long as it's good gospel message, great. But, but some people might actually get reached. There might be a few that are just ready. Like, they're just like, they, they're there already. But the vast majority of students, they need to have someone infuse the values of the kingdom of God into their life before they're actually going to find that they love Jesus. And that's going to come through relationships. And so we need more people to fight for this campus. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. And you know why he could say that? It's because if the laborers would fight, people would suddenly want what they're offering. If the harvest is not plentiful, it's not on Jesus because he's lying. And it's not even, I mean, not taking responsibility out of their hands, but it's not on them for having the skewed perception of Christianity. It's on us. It's on us for not showing them why he is who they really want. And so that's our charge. That's our challenge. I'm not trying to be heavy here. Um, well, I guess I am. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying it, it can happen. We can do it. Yeah. And the goal, that, that's the point. This is as easy as building deep relationships. It's really that easy. But um, our biggest, you know, our big, scary, audacious dream is basically this. I dream of the day, and I'm not just saying the outposts. I'm saying, I mean, yeah, if crew, navs, you know, you know, any of the churches, I don't care. If, but, but I'm not going to wait for them to do it. We're going to march, and we're going to start working that way. But 
Uh, if we could have enough leaders, enough promoter leaders, enough people who actually know what it's like to fight for this campus, that every student on the campus was relationally connected to someone that was fighting for them, we would never have an atheist who had a crisis of worldview that didn't have a good witness. We would never have the prodigal son who was willing, if there was only someone, to show him the way to come back to Jesus. We would never miss those things, but it's the relationships that we miss. And that is what we're fighting for. We long in the day that we would have enough witnesses that know what it's like to fight for their campus, that every person on the campus is relationally connected to someone who's fighting for them. Did I say that right? You know what? I mean. I've been talking a lot this week. You guys have been gracious to listen to me over all the interviews and things. So, but, but that's that's our dream. And honestly, it's kind of crazy. It's a kind of a crazy dream. Um, but. But if every small group leader that we have replicated themselves twice over in responsibility before they graduated, uh, in 10 years, our campus would be saturated in relationships to a level that every person would know somebody that's fighting for them. That's about what it would take. Um, that's not that audacious. But what it does mean, and that's kind of like, how do I chunk that? 30,000 people, how do I do that? What does God have for you? It's not about the numbers, it's not about those, you know, the, the size, it's about that person that you know in your life that really needs God, that you know they need God. So, we're dreaming about the day that we can see our university actually transformed, not just have transformation on our university. Um, so how will this affect my life? Um, did I spell it correctly? You did, yeah. Hey! The right, the right if you uh, if you don't know the joke there, my spelling is almost as bad as my handwriting, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, you have to really try to be as bad as I am at spelling. Okay, a um, couple of things I just kind of want to highlight here. Um, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, says this, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure version to him. Now here's Paul. And he's writing to these Corinthians, and if you've ever, if you've been in church any length of time, you kind of know these guys were, uh, they had a lot of dysfunction, uh, but it was good for us because Paul got to give us a lot of theology because of all their screw-ups, and, and we kind of understand some things better because of it. But, but in that process, Paul says, hey, stop, stop screwing things up, because there's only two things that we get to offer God someday. When we come face-to-face... You know, Paul even says, I see through a glass darkly, but someday, someday, I'm going to be face to face with my creator. And on that day, I have two things to offer. My relationship that I have developed, or that he's developed in me, and I've submitted to, that this relationship that I have with God, and everyone else that's behind me, that I've brought along for the ride. And he said, you're my gift. You are what I am offering to God. For all of his sacrifice, for all of his patience, for all of his 
pursuit and suffering and fighting for me, you are what I get to offer him. And so I want to give him a good gift. So stop being a bad one. (laughs) That's basically his statement, right? But I, I love the heart of it because what he is saying is, here is our eternal perspective. Here's our eternal perspective. I, my purpose in my life, what is the purpose of my life? You guys are trying to figure that out. And and your purpose is, you know, well, you're trying to figure out, like, am I going to be an engineer? Am I going to be a teacher? Am I going to be an accountant? Gonna, you know, all those kind of things. And all those things are great. I mean, man, I love that we get to learn those things and grow in those things. But the, the greatest purpose in our life on that day is not going to be, hey, I aced my Calc 3 test. It's going to be, hey, I fought for this guy and he's here with me today. And that eternal perspective gives us a lens to kind of see what what really matters in our life. And I'm not in any way, don't hear me dogging anything about your education. That's deeply important and significant. and It can help you in getting uh, where we're trying to go in our faith. Even. But, but we need to realize, ultimately, this is the thing that is most important. This is the thing that's eternal, is the people sitting next to you. C.S. Lewis has that famous saying. He said, you've never met a mere mortal. You've never met a mere mortal. And so are we living with the heart to see them with us on that day? Uh, is going to talk next week. She's going to go over kind of transgenerational discipleship uh, concept. I'm not going to try to steal her thunder here too much, but I do want to just say in this concept of our big picture vision that to say someday you can have a legacy on this campus. That Josh Nicholas, uh, who none of you, well, probably none of you have met. Well, I mean, some of the guys have met, but (laughs) the young ones haven't met probably. He um, was part of my team here originally. And he actually came to the Lord. He was like super popular. He was kind of that Matt Hemman type guy. Um, And he got, he came to the Lord because a guy who, Chris Scroggins, who was like the nerd of all nerds, um, who just loved him in a way that he had never experienced before. He gave his life to the Lord. And Josh came here to CSU with me, and Josh met, met this guy named Daniel Frank, who uh, was just this Christian young guy who was like, I'm trying to figure out how to live out my faith. And Josh said, hey, let's march together. Let's do something. And Daniel started to get a conviction for the loss. And so he started fighting for this guy named uh, Matt Hirschberg, and Matt Hirschberg was the kind of guy that you never really wanted to meet in a dark alley late at night, you know, because he padded up from head to foot. He was dealing drugs in the dorms here at CSU. And, and basically, Daniel Frank befriended him, began to fight for him, and he gave his life to the Lord, got radically saved. He is now a missionary in um, Denmark. Thank you. He's now in Denmark with his wife. Uh, Daniel Frank is helping with a church plant down in Denver, uh, Josh Nicholas is over in, uh, well, you, uh, A&M, uh, Texas A&M, pioneering another Chi Alpha there. Uh, he helped us plant the Chi Alpha in Russia that our ministry planted a few years ago. And and so here, Matt Hirsch, or, um, Hirschberg, yeah, Hirsch, that's all, all we called him. Hirsch began to fight for this guy that was uh, Alex Olvera, and Alex was just this a guy who had really no good history with the church and was just from kind of a broken background in his in his background had a lot of wounds that he was walking in with and Matt began to fight for for Alex and Alex got radically saved and he began to fight for 
all these other guys, and Bobby's back there. Bobby was one of the guys that he uh, walked with in uh, for a season. But he met uh, another guy named John Grimes. John walked on campus, said, hey, how can I fight for the campus? He met a girl on campus named Emmy, uh, who was walking with a limp, said, hey, could I pray for you? She got radically healed, and she is on fire for the Lord. She's a small group leader for us here right now in the outpost. And uh, I think there's somebody actually here that's in Emmy's small group right here. So yeah. yeah, so here we go all the way from the you know beginning to the end. Here's, here's the idea. In 10 years, are you going to have a legacy on this campus? And you could. And we have missionaries all over the world because this nerdy guy at Sam Houston State University decided to reach out to the super cool guy named Josh Nicholas. And the world's being affected because of it. It's pretty cool. Um, I met... A couple years ago, we have something called the World Mission Summit, and uh, we're going to have another one here in a couple years. It's, uh, yeah, look at that. Um, I went down to Sam Houston. I told you that story. I went down to Sam Houston, and I met this young man who, uh, I couldn't figure out why he was even hanging around, because he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Like, he would, like, kind of fall asleep in our weekly meeting, Um, and Brian Pacini was was a thorn in my side, but I loved the guy. And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but he loved the community. And all of a sudden, at a winter conference, he gave his life to the Lord, and and things started clicking a little bit. But I was really worried about how things were going to go, because I was leaving that next year to Pioneer here. And I left, and some other guys took him under their wing and began to disciple him. And he did the internship with Illy. And then went down to Pioneer Chi Alpha down in southern Texas. Well, I'm at the World Mission Summit. World Mission Summit is basically 6,000 college Chi Alpha students. There's about 30,000 Chi Alpha students around the country. Uh, About 6,000 of them were in Texas a few years ago uh, for this national conference. And I was just sitting down with a couple random guys at a table for lunch and just struck up a conversation and said, hey, what's your names? And they they told me, I said, where are you from? And they told me, I said, Oh, I know somebody at that school. I know this guy named Brian Pacini. He actually helped pioneer that Chi Alpha. They said, oh, yeah, Brian's my small group leader. Actually, I came, gave my life to the Lord this last semester in his small group. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting just randomly in an you know, auditorium full of 6,000 people, and I'm sitting down next to these guys. And I don't even know it, but this kid is my spiritual grandkid. <laughs> and it's kind of a cool thing. In our faith, we can have that. Um, You're going to get a lot out of this. I'll say that. You're going to get a lot out of this. There's, um, I was talking with the head of, of First National Bank a couple years ago, and I was talking with him and just processing some different questions. And he said, Nate, half the reason why I hire someone has to do with their education, but only half. He said the other half has to do essentially with what we teach you guys what you learn in discipleship. Uh, I was reading a book by a Google exec who used very secular terms, but more or less said what we need in the tech industry is not people who are even better at tech than the past, but we need people who, in very secular terms, said it, who know how to disciple people. Because we don't have people who know how to do that. And that's what we're really looking for and needing. I was hanging out with uh, Omar, one of our small group leaders, and he was in... uh, an internship last year 
down in Denver. He's an accountant. You kind of think accountants, you know, kind of, you know, very black and white, debits and credits, whatever. But, but you know, who cares about the social intelligence or anything? The just crush my numbers right, you know, give me do my taxes, make sure I get the right return, right? That's all we care about. But he was in this internship. I was I was an accountant major, so I know what it's like. But but here he was in his internship for a semester and he came back, he was just laughing. He said, Nate, they would grade me every week on twelve things. He said two of them had to do with accounting. Ten of them leadership taught me. And so all I say, I just say it to say, like, you've got to get a lot out of this. The ability to fight for people, to do life with people, to, to relationally connect and empathize and walk with them through good times and bad. This is what the world needs because it is so lacking it. So much so that your careers are looking for that as much as your education. But you're going to get a lot out of this. But ultimately, we recognize that our heart is, God, I want to give back to you. And I want, you know, I've talked with each one of you about the idea of what are we trying to do here is create a context where you just express love back to God. That's right. That's your motivation. Yes, yes. That's your ultimate motivation is to say, God, I want to love you. Not so I can get anything out of it even, but because you deserve so much. Paul says, I want to give a good gift. I've got nothing to offer. I'm a pauper and I'm in front of the king of the universe. What do I have to offer? Nothing. But maybe some of these guys that I'm bringing with me. So let's give good gifts. And this is an expression of love, not out of duty, not out of obligation. But I hope you understand. We're going to push you guys. We're going to kind of challenge you. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have a lot of fun. Feel a little sore sometimes, but it's because you're getting stronger. But we want you to realize that this is your gift to God, that you are expressing. And whatever happens, people, you know, you're the next Billy Graham of CSU or, or you, you know, don't see a lot happen. You know what? Your act of obedience, you stepping out. You know, sometimes, you know, I so often in my story, I didn't know what was going on. But I was just obeying. And you say, well, I wasn't called. Well, okay. Are you obedient to what you know? And there's this little command, you know, in the end of Matthew that kind of tells us, hey, we should maybe fight for our, our friends. And so are we being faithful to that? I don't mean to be, make light of it, and I get that there's tensions and struggles, and you're trying to wrestle through, how do I do this as a student? I can tell you, you can do it. You can do it. Yes. We've had, when we first pioneered, Brent is the only person who would remember this, but we had this one girl that was on uh, leadership as a student. She was a grad student. She did her undergraduate at Oklahoma State, I believe it was, and the dean of students said, you are the most highly accoladed undergraduate scholar we have ever had. And she came to CSU to do her grad work and became a small group leader and fought for some girls and had an amazing time. We've had multiple, like, full scholarship, like the CSU, what's the all-CSU scholarship program, but, but we had multiple of those. We've had countless engineers and many of them making, you know, top ranks in their final projects. Um, and not to say there's not a cost sometimes. You know, we have one of our girls that was really, really incredible uh, in recent past was uh, Michaela Stone now. Yeah. And she actually, her, her senior engineering project placed first in their, uh, for all of CSU for the senior design project in engineering. Um, and she was an incredible small group leader for us and had these incredible stories of people's lives being transformed. And, but she also did have to give up the softball team. And we didn't ask it of her, 
but she just said, hey, I don't think I can handle both of these things, and, and I have to choose one. I think this one's more important. And her life, you know, her legacy is the eternal one. And so, you know, there is a cost. You have to kind of count that. And throughout this class, you guys are going to have to kind of assess that. Like, what, what does this look like? But I don't want you to say, I can't, because you can. The question is, God, where do you want me to be used, and how do you want me to be used? And is the outpost, is leadership on the outpost that way? We're certainly not the only way. I'm not pretending like, hey, this is the only way to fulfill the Great Commission is to be on our team. Like, you know, I don't have that kind of ego. But, Lord's refinement in my life. But I will say it is always, always easier to do it on a team. It's always easier. You never, I mean, anybody who's ever been an athlete of any kind knows that. You just know it. The coach tells you at the you know, end of the season, hey, keep in the gym, keep doing some workouts. We'll be back you know, in like you know, eight months to get go- things going. What happens? You don't go to the gym. <laughs> Maybe once in a while, but you're just, you know, you're just doing half the workout that you did before because you need the team to help push you. And we're here to help you. Our purpose, the reason we exist is simple. We exist to help you become the best disciple maker, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God dreams of you becoming. That's why we exist. On a campus with, you know, four or five percent of the campus connected with Christian community, our heart is simply to say, we are here for you. You are not an add-on to our ministry. You are not a tag-on. This is not something we just kind of do on the side of what we really do for ministry. This is what we do. This is the core of what we do. Our whole trust in how we're going to transform this campus rests on you guys learning to submit to God and surrender to his calling in your life and to step out in boldness. And we're just here to help you along the way. That's why we exist. Um, There's two things you walk away from college with. uh, Your education and your relationships. Um, Broadly, I mean, you could, you know, whatever, debt, you might say, or other things, too. But, but, you know, broadly speaking, you know, those two things are the core things you walk away with. Deep relationships, if you forge those, not everybody does, but deep relationships and that, and that sense of your education. And, and we're finding that um, many times these people who are really doing mission uh, in college, they're binding their lives together. There's this deep sense of friendship and brotherhood. I mean, you look around this room. Uh, if you choose to do this, you'll probably find the people around this room are going to become deep, deep friends of yours in a way that you can't really even understand until you fully grasp. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is always about something. That's why a friend or someone who says they only want a friend can never find any because friendship demands that it's about something other than the friendship. Yeah. And Friendship, and I've had a lot of different contexts um, of what friendship looked like, but when the friendship is based on not just a thing, but the thing, the thing about your life, the thing that gives your life value, meaning, and purpose. When your thing that binds your friendship is the center of your life, there's this deep friendship. Because the thing that binds friendships allows for the depth of that friendship. And when it becomes the thing about your life, you find someone else is also fighting for that. There's this deep, meaningful relationship that comes. And so we have we have um, people 
uh, doing, you know, as graduates, many of these guys are just saying, hey, we just want to keep our friendship alive while we take our education. Sometimes in missions, we say, give up your education, keep the friendships. More important, where you go than who you go with. No, flip that. <laughs> Don't, yeah. X that out of the audio. Um, it's more important who you go with than where you go. Um, but sometimes in our career, we tell them, like, hey, give up the friendships and keep the education. Um, and more and more, we're trying to, like, hey, you know, at some level, how do you do both? And we have countless church plants that are going on. And people who are just like, hey, we just want to do life for, for our life together. Uh, as church, as community, keep this deep brotherhood that we have and invite people into this friendship and keep transforming our community. Uh, and the guys who have walked away and gone off to middle of nowhere have often walked back like, man, that was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And so all I'm saying is there's this incredible potential in what you're doing to really transform your life. And you might be saying, I just thought I might be serving, helping out a little bit with a youth group thing, or I don't know what's going on. You're telling me about my life. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, hold, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this, you know, I'm not making a sign on any dotted line. I'm just telling you that what you choose to do now will forever affect your destiny, one way or the other. And what we have found in young people, students, taking on responsibility in their faith in a big way that their life is deeply enriched as a result. The studies have come out, the conclusions are clear. In psychology, they say there is one thing that is the key distinction between whether your life is happy, enjoyed, fulfilled, uh, and successful, and it's this, how deep are the relationships around your life? And we're saying, hey, you're gonna get a lot out of this because we're gonna invite you to find those deep friendships through mission as you start fighting alongside each other you realize you become brothers along the way, sisters. Okay. Um, yeah. So how do we go about this? We're going to go way more in depth over the next few weeks. Um, but we have a lot of processes. We have a lot of structure and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we kind of have this little maxim, don't be a garden, or don't be a factory, be a garden. Uh, it's just the idea of relationship is, is key. Like there's this organic, messy, messy sometimes approach. But our, our heart is relational ministry and trying to help teach you how to do that. And um, the way we go about that is small group ministry. And I think you guys kind of get that. But we're going to talk about that in a week or two. But... Uh, Small group may not be quite what what you think of small group. And I'm not saying in the church world there isn't a healthy perspective of small group per se, but uh, we were just hearing from a, a pastor recently who, who was talking to one of our staff, and he said, yeah, we focus on small group ministry, and the pastor said, oh, that doesn't work. Like, that's a waste of time. And then Dylan explained what we do, and he said, oh, no, that's not small group. <laughs> that's something totally different than what, I'm, what I think of when I... And so... So we're going to kind of talk through what does that look like. But essentially, functionally, we're just saying you are, we are teaching you to be a minister to your world. We're teaching you how to be a minister to your world and to how to invite people around your life to become a community around your life that are leaning on each other as you together pursue after Jesus. And so we'll get into more of that. But how do we go about this? It's about deep, meaningful relationships. So it's, it's a little before eight here. And I've been rambling for a little bit. I want you guys to take a break.
Uh, go use the restroom if you need to. Go talk to your table for a few minutes. We're going to come back. We're going to do another about 20 minutes, and then we're going to jump into cohorts after that. So take a break. I kind of actually meant that was going to take like a minute, but that was really good. So, um, we'll go ahead and just, just kind of jump back in there. I think it was a couple guys in the restroom. But a uh, couple things here just to wrap things up. Um, what is it going to take? One thing is this. There's, there's kind of two... Uh, Metaphors that we use often in the outpost, and that is that we need to be an uh, army and we need to be a family. And both of those have significance because if we're a family, there's that deep sense of connection, brotherhood, sisterhood, life togetherness, vulnerability, codependence in the sense of leaning on each other in their faith, that kind of thing. But And that's where we really see people come to the Lord is because they come into a community that loves Jesus and loves each other and is deeply honoring and connected to one another, and they say, hey, be part of this. And that's really attractive to a world that's constantly posturing and trying to get connected into a place that's life-giving, to suddenly be to walk in and somebody telling you, like, you're valued here and valued into something that's attractive. So we need that family, but there's nobody that's going to come unless we are an army fighting for our campus. And we're going to kind of talk about the maxim like, you know, find, fight, and feed. Uh, we're going to walk with you as you guys are learning to take that on. But I, I kind of covered a lot of that in our, in our pre-interview with each of you guys over this last week. So uh, I just want to say uh, J.K. Tes- Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, J.K. J.K. G.K. Chesterton said something must in the world – the world works, it's looking for something lovely to love. And so, you know, single guys say, hey, she's pretty lovely, I can love her, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but he said, in our faith, it flips. And in our faith, we were not lovely, and God chose to love us anyways. And through his love, he transformed us into something that's becoming lovely. And so there's this idea, we need to fight for this campus. And when we say fight, not fight against this campus, not fighting like, you know, hey, we're, I don't know, like, you know what I mean. We're fighting for them, not against them. We're fighting to say, hey, you have a future, and I believe in you, and I want to fight for that future to become real. And that whole thing, I'm, you know, over my dead body, are you going to live a stupid life, right? But we have to become an army. And so that's what LTC is kind of teaching us, is like, how do we fight? How do we be a family together? What are the core values of our ministry? How do we do that? How do we express that to one another? And how do we step forward into a mission that will consume the rest of our life as we see this world transformed by the love of Christ into something lovely, despite its ugliness and its pain and its suffering and all those things, to say, let's make it something truly beautiful and we can do it together um so be an army not audience too often it's easy for us in our faith to be the audience and we can get cynical and critical of the body of christ when we're just the audience because it's really easy i mean ever i mean the super bowl 
watch Super Bowl game, guys who've never played, you know, never touched a pigskin in their life are suddenly like experts on like what's going wrong and what they're doing wrong. Like, dude, that guy is totally like out of shape, you know, just like, you know, it, and, and I get it. I do it too. It's, I'm not saying anything about anybody that does that. But I am saying as a metaphor, like we can easily start doing that in our faith until we step into the game and say, let's, I'm in all my, you know, mess and all my shortcomings and all my failings. I believe that if I step out, God will step in. And C.T. Studd, somebody was just talking about this, I think, the other day. C.T. Studd made this comment when he got saved. He gave up every vice in his life but gambling. And when asked, why do you keep gambling? He said, well, I just realized I could gamble on my faith. I gave up craps tables and dogs and sporting events. He said, I began to gamble on God. I put myself in situations I knew I couldn't handle. And I'd gamble that God would show up and do something. And he had a dynamic life and ministry. And that is our challenge, that C.T. Stud, who was a stud, is our challenge for us. If we step out in our shortcomings, God will step in. And we truly believe that God does not call the equipped. He's not looking and saying, who's equipped and calling them. He's saying, who will answer my call, and I will equip you along the way. Romans 8. Romans 8. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Will you answer that call? Um, all right. A couple things that it doesn't require. Uh, and I, I'm kind of covering this, so we're just going to fly by here. But what do, it doesn't require, it doesn't require you to be a super evangelist. And we'll get into that. If you don't know that term, uh, we'll kind of talk about that here in a little bit. But but it doesn't require you to have all the answers. You don't need to be you know, like an expert at the Bible uh, to, to walk with people. Because what we're, now I'm not saying that doesn't matter. It does. And, you know, having good arguments for your faith, like when your friend is like, man, I really, I'm seeking Jesus, but I'm not sure if like, I can have a mind in love with God. Like, having good answers is important. When you're, when people are like, you know, what does the Bible really say? Or I have this question about this thing. You know, that's important. But what I'm saying is that's not nearly as important as what you already have to give. And that is, can you love the people in your life? Because if you can, trans, as, as G.K. Chesterton said, if you can love them, your love will transform them, and you'll figure out the logistics along the way. And that's where we're here to help, and we're constantly growing. That's why we love ODGs. Let's talk about things. Let's read, and let's have a good thought life. Let's grow in our thought life. But you don't have to have it all figured out. We've had incredible leaders who did not have it all figured out, but they were willing to invite, <laughs> and, and a bunch of my leaders raised their hands. <laughs> but what they were willing to do is invite people on the journey with them in their life and say, hey, would you walk with me and we'll figure it out together. So that's what we're inviting you to. You don't have to be an extrovert. You do not need to be an extrovert. Some people think, well, I'm just not that charismatic. You know, I kind of like, you know, me, myself, and I. We're kind of a great, you know, trio, and I kind of enjoy that. Um, Join the club. But, But while I'm not saying that you can just use that as an excuse because you will be challenged to step out, um, I'm saying that is not a prerequisite. Yeah. We've had incredible leaders who just, you know, all kinds of personality types, all kinds of temperaments, all kinds of backgrounds, and that is that is not key. 
fact, in fact, Tozer makes a comment, and I believe it's the pursuit of God, but the only thing, if you look through Christian history, the only thing that binds the great men and women of our faith throughout time is not their personalities, their temperaments, their ages, their locations, their genders, their any of those things. What, what combines them is this deep, unusual, intense love for God. And that passion, that deep devotion, that deep, like, I think what he says, I'm just thinking this off the top of my head, but I think he makes it this, this holy unrest. It says, I want more. I want more of God. I want more of him. I've tasted enough to know. I'm not tasted and satisfied. I'm tasted, I've tasted and I'm saying, I want more. And saying that in my faith is the thing that binds people who have had deep impacts in our faith throughout history. So can you have a love with Jesus? And can you love people? If you can do that, that's what it takes. Yeah. And that's and everything else kind of gets worked out. Um, so don't assume that you're going to have it all figured out. We're going to walk with you. And we don't have it all figured out, but we can... We can you know, walk with you too and, and help you along those journeys. And that's why we put you in a resource groups. We'll get into all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of enjoy, personally, just selfishly, I kind of enjoy, like, picking fights with the Richard Dawkins freshman a little bit. Just because, <laughs> not because it actually accomplishes anything, because it, it doesn't, unless you have that relationship, it really doesn't accomplish anything. But just, just so, you know, you guys who are sometimes scared of that conversation realize, like, we have truth on our side. There are answers yeah. to these things. Yeah. Right. And we can walk that out. The things that people don't have are people that are really fighting for. Yeah. 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 So, um, with that, I'm going to spend just a couple minutes here and I'm going to break us up. Um, yeah. Gotta love old uh, Francis Xavier. But uh, I'm going to hand you guys a syllabi. And take one, pass it around. Take one now, pass it around. No. Oh, yeah, you know, is there an extra? I need to actually see what. Um, hey, couple logistics here, real quick. On the back here, on the front is our. I'm not promising this looks really pretty, but this is kind of what I was on my uh, Word document. But this is the dates and the classes with kind of big picture uh, topics. On the back are your exercises. We will get to that here in a second, but you have talked with me through your uh, interviews about some of that. Uh, the bottom, just a couple logistics. We will meet in this room for the rest of the semester through March 5th from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, the two exceptions will be March 17th, as that is when everybody will be gone for spring break, um, and March 31st, because that's the Sunday right after LTC retreat, so you'll be with us. 24 hours before that, so we're not going to do it then. Uh, LTC Retreat will be Friday and Saturday, March 29th and 30th. Begins at 5 p.m. at Park Fellowship. And Estes concludes 4 p.m. on Saturday, so we get back around 5-ish or so. Um, try to try to protect that if you would. If you got jobs, try to get out of whatever you can. Uh, if you really can't, we, we understand. We're going uh, to work with you. But um, just talk with, with me, and we'll work something out. Um, you can miss a total of three uh, weekends. Um, and any of those teachings, though, that you miss, uh, you will have to listen to on uh, your own time and get just like a one paragraph summary uh, in my email within two weeks of that class. So 
Uh, the details there on the LPC podcast and my email are there as well. Class handouts and presentations are going to be found, and if you can type that out, great. Otherwise, uh, I will. One of the things we're going to have you guys do is uh, sign up on the on a Google sign-in sheet. We'll probably print that and then have it for the rest of the time. You can sign your initials when you show up in class, but uh, your cohort will have help you Cal, uh, sign up on that Google sheet online. And uh, once I have all your emails, I will send out a mass email that will include access to a Google folder that will have uh, any handouts like this, um, or not that this is like super detailed or anything, but you know, like PowerPoints from the class as well on there. So if you want to go back, reference anything, uh, look at anything throughout the course, you can reference that stuff there. Uh, practically, any questions? About any of that stuff. Cool. Okay, so what we're going to do, and you guys all know this because you were with me in interviews this week, but we are going to have you broken up into cohorts. A couple staff will be in there. Uh, there'll be five or six of you in as students in each of these groups. And these groups are going to be for the purpose uh, for the next uh, what, five weeks, maybe four or five weeks. Uh, to talk through kind of how your practical went this last week and and what you learned, what was good, what was challenging, what you learned from it. And next week, this is our practical, this next week, how are we going to try to do this together? And as much as we can, we're going to do things together. Now, uh, your cohort will talk through your practical for this week. However, uh, just real quick, is basically for this week, there's obviously nothing last week. That was this, you know, do the interview with me. But... But this week's assignment is to interview three uh, student leaders or small group leaders. It could be staff too, it's fine. But three small group leaders this week and talk to them uh, about their experience in small group leading. And you can do that together. It doesn't have to be one-on-one. You know, you can pull aside uh, Bobby. Yeah, you can pull, you know, four of you can pull aside Bobby and be like, hey, can we interview you, you know, as one of our three uh, small group leaders this week. Uh, your cohort will have more details for you um, on exactly what we're looking for uh, for you to kind of dive into. Uh, interns, you guys, you obviously, you're small group leaders already and kind of doing this, but we're just looking for you to also still do this in the sense of saying, uh, what is it like as a student today at CSU uh, to do this? And so just kind of a little more specific there uh, as a student and just kind of brought in that. But um, we are going to break you guys up into cohorts. And so what I'm going to do is first going to have the staff. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, it's going to sound funny, but all the girls on the left, please, on the wall there, all the guys, we really segregate. So here we go. On the right, guys, to the right. Uh, actually, I'm going to mix you. And this is the best way I can do to mix you is separate. You so all the guys on the right, uh, I need staff-wise, real quick, we're going to kind of do this. Staff-wise, I need Brent and Jamie at a table. So Brent and Jamie going at a table. I need Jacob, Kellen, and Unruh at a table. Jacob is not here, so that would be Unruh and uh, 
Kellen. So Andrew and Kellen at the table today. Jacob, I'm going to fly in the boss around for this with him. Okay, the uh, Sandquest and Leanne at the table, please. Uh, Anna, when she gets back up with Trinity. Uh, Illy and Dylan at the table. <laughs> uh, as well as Val. Val? If you would also join that table, please. Oh, this, this one's so clean and nice. Justin, Ian, and Craig, if you guys would sit at the table. And then there's not, there's actually five tables and six cohorts. But at the back wall, you guys can go find a spot outside if you want. Kayla, uh, uh, Casto, and Jake, if you guys could get together. Just stand in the back wall for the moment. Leave the room. Okay. All right. So, so here is uh, that order is Brent is number one, Jacob number two, Eric number three, Illy number four, Jessica number five, Kaylee number six. I will help you in a second, but I'm going to count off. And we're going to just mix this randomly. Half of this course, we're going to put you in a cohort that's random. We want you to kind of get to know the larger community. The second half of the class, you're going to be connected with your your, your transgenerational uh, family line. And so it'll be with who you would be walking with in a resource group. But that's after the LT33. First half, we just want you guys to kind of get to know some people. Um, interns, remember, you have something after LTC, we'll get that in a second. All right, so we're just gonna count one to six, so. Four, five, six, two, three, four, five, six. All right, so that's the girls, remember your number. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. No, she doesn't remember, she doesn't It's okay, I'll get to you, I'll get to you. Stay right there for a second. So you're four, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 Okay. All right. Anybody else? Cool. 
Again, this week, or this this part of the class, you are with this group now for for the class assignments. So every Sunday, remember your group. You're going to get together with this group. You're going to talk through how things are going and talk through your game plan. Leaders, remember, your job is to help them process how it went and talk through their game plan for that next week and how you or the cohort or combo can do it with them if possible. So some exercises will be a little more individualistic, but as much as possible, your job is to help them process, help them get a good game plan, and to help them uh, do it together in community, uh, either with you and or the, the, rest the cohort itself. Okay, any questions? Uh, staff, do you have any questions from my info on Facebook Messenger this morning? Are we clear there? Cool, okay, I think so. All right, uh, interns, after this, interns, what are we doing for Sonic. post? Sonic! Sonic, you're already there. Sweet, so, awesome. <laughs> I love that, I love the energy. Way to go, Val, there we go. So, that's gonna be a fun group. Uh, you guys, if if you're free, I know people are like, they'd be like, ah, uh, I got homework and stuff, we understand. But we love to just get to know one another you're going to be walking out uh, in some ways, maybe some of the most like growing and stretching uh, seasons of your of your faith in this season, maybe, and you're going to be doing it with the group around you. So get to know them, uh, become friends. Our deep conviction is community, is power, and we do it together. So uh, get to know them. Any questions about anything at this point? Yes. Does the future exist yet? I literally have to leave right here and take a, a red eye when to Boston immediately in about two minutes. Otherwise, I would love to talk about that over Sonic. But maybe next week. Okay, other questions? Did you allow it to be shared? Yes. Did you just want people to put an X on that day or what? Yes, on today, just put an X. Put your name, put your email, put your phone number, and put an X. That'll be fine. Yes, Casto. Are there any prohibitions on who they cannot interview? No, no. It could be a staff, it could be a student, it could be somebody, opposite sex, same somebody sex. Somebody else in their cohort. Somebody else in their cohort. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. The spirit of it is just to say, like, hey, we just want you guys to kind of get a broader perspective. Especially, but you, I'll say this, it cannot be three staff. I'll say that. It cannot be three staff. You, My hope in this, in part, is like, hey, understand what it's like uh, by peers who are doing it. Um, oh, and, Billy, I and kind of growing that. So the staff are kind of a different paradigm, although many of them have done this as students and still loved it, but they just kept doing it as staff. But um, staff, I will Facebook message you in just like two seconds with a new link, see if that helps update that info, just go ahead and start jumping into stuff. Yes, if you find, if you go into LTC under our staff Google Docs, it will be in 2019 under that stuff there. Okay, any other questions? Awesome. All right, guys. Hey, have a great night. We are super excited to walk with you guys this semester, and thanks for being willing to, to come and, and talk about what your future could look like here in the outpost. So uh, get together with your cohort and uh, have a great night. I'll Wait, see you I next have week. A question. Yes. To, to, to just, just expand on Jacob's question, is the past real? 
I have I have no time. I literally have to go to the airport like right now. So Sonic <laughs> next week. We can talk about it. We can talk about it next week. Okay. <laughs> I really want to tell you. Or, well, I want to tell you my opinion. No, I actually really didn't think it's true. I'm, I'm genuinely scared of your opinion. Ge- generally. Why? What's what's the fear? That you're gonna break my worldview or oh. break your worldview? It's oh. not a 50 chance. Oh. What's your worldview? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, see you, you have to go. I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta send this first. Not, you can't actually.